Welcome everybody to this uh, afternoon talk with uh, Tom Friedman, who's sitting next to me. It's of course really nice to see that so many people decided to leave their jobs and skip school and all this, this time of the day to come here and, and uh, listen to mostly Tom speaking about his art. The exhibition called Up in the Air, it starts just behind us right here and I, I assume some of you have seen it. If you haven't, they decided to let the show be open a bit longer than our opening hours uh, this afternoon. So after the talk, there's a possibility to, to step into the exhibition for about half an hour and uh, take a look at it. Yeah, I think we should just head right into the talk. Sure. Yeah. The way I arranged the images is initially I, I thought it would be um, good to show an image of this piece, which is a recent piece, piece titled Mandala, which is uh, all of my work up to the point that I made, made this piece, which was in 2009, where I superimposed all the images of my work, one on top of the other. There's something about that process of superimposing. So uh, just to, a little about the process, the, each layer is like maybe 1% opacity. So it reveals one layer through the next. And I was struck by the centrality of my work. There's something revealing about superimposing everything sort of being centered and then emanating out from that point. To me, it ended up looking like a Tibetan mandala. The way that I arranged the pieces, the, the works in this uh, um, um, slide presentation, is I'm going to show one piece from every year, sort of the beginning of my career, which would be somewhere around 1990. And I'll just show one piece from each year up to culminating to 2010 with a piece up in the air, which uh, is my most latest piece that I did for uh, Magazine 3 um, that you can see downstairs of the exhibition here. Can I just say then that the, in the exhibition up in the air here, there are also, there are works from 1989 up until, uh, well, up in the air, which is just, was done on Tuesday this week. Right. So, uh, and, and the, what you're going to show now is, is partly some of those works, but then it's also other works that you can yeah. see here. So they I, th sort of I think you can, you'll be able to see, there'll be some pieces in the slide presentation that are in the show, other things that are not. Um, I thought that would be a, a good idea to show other things that you can't see here. The oldest piece um, from 1989, which I didn't show, is a piece right inside this door, uh, which is uh, made of toothpaste. And then this piece here, which is untitled from 1990, is made with uh, spending hundreds of hours collecting eraser shavings in a jar and then sprinkling the eraser shavings into a soft edge circle on a white floor. Just like showing uh, the mandala and all these layers and something that structure and that design reveals about my work that I can see, I'm keenly aware of um, like stepping back from my work and seeing a chronology and a progression of my work, um, which will become more clear as I go along. 
I, I kind of look at it as if I'm, uh, you know, I'm both inside of it, but also outside of it. So there'll be pieces that I place in a progression that almost become like anomalies. Um, that'll seem like, where did that come from? I, I like that sort of break in the logic. Um, and you can begin to see that I begin from something more logical and, uh, sort of begin to break down that logic and to kind of this then almost openness and open system. So this is from 1990, um, eraser shavings. I was interested in simplicity at the time and this idea of erasing and simplicity. Would this be at the same time as, as the um, clothes the, hanger? The same time as the clothes hanger. In the show? Hmm. Right. Then 1991... I uh, did this piece, which is a roll of toilet paper. This is in the show, and it's a. At the time, I was really looking to take this idea of simplicity even further, and looking for a way of almost creating this absolute object by having a designated amount of material, very clear process, uh, logic to the process of making it, all sort of turned in on itself to uh, define this object as this sort of absolute object. In this case, taking a roll of toilet paper uh, with its cardboard tube and then beginning to precisely roll it as, um, as cleanly as I could to make this cylindrical solid. So the clear process and the, um, the clear, just one roll of toilet paper were all part of that process. This is from 1992 where uh, sort of a response to that ritualistic process, I would, you know, I keep sort of contradicting myself. And at that time, there was a, all this reference to like personal hygiene and spirituality. In this case, this piece is titled Hot Balls, where I, while I was living in Chicago, I, um, spend about six months stealing balls from various stores. And in, in America, when something's stolen, it's called hot. It's, a, it's hot merchandise. So I spent a, a lot of time stealing these small balls and trying to figure out how to uh, finish this piece. And when I was in a uh, store, I saw this bin close to the doorway of these large red balls, and I thought I'd steal that and that place that on this in this form and be kind of a trophy. I've done several photographs. One thing you'll notice is the, that my work is very different going from one to the next. And I'm interested in relationships through differences more than relationships through similarities. Uh, this is a piece from 1993 where I took a photograph of myself laying face flat on the floor and then presented it upside down to allow the gravity to um, have an opposite effect. Um, the idea for this came from seeing these uh, Tibetan monks, um, I guess, requesting donations. And the way that they would request is by laying face flat on the ground with their hat open at the, the, at the base of their head. So they didn't say anything. They were just prostrating themselves. And then the open hat was the request for the donation. Um, and there's, so there's something about allowing gravity to just completely take hold of you. 
This is from 1994. I had been exploring a lot of logic, uh, the logic of transforming my materials. A piece that's in the show here that was placed in the same room on a pedestal the same size as this piece you see here, which is made with uh, 30,000 toothpicks, is a piece uh, of a gelatin pill capsule made with tiny balls of Play-Doh. In the room, there was a pedestal with a gelatin pill capsule with the tiny balls of Play-Doh on a pedestal. And next to it, a pedestal of the same size would be this piece. And I like this sort of cause and effect relationship, um, this compression of the pill and almost like consuming the pill. If one were to consume the pill, metaphorically, it might have this ensuing effect of this, uh, this uh, explosion, this expansion. So th this piece was sort of a, represented a, an attempt to sort of transcend uh, a kind of logic that I was dealing with before. Can I just ask you there, sure. because I can't help thinking I saw this in a museum uh, before Christmas, and not to stop your flow here, but uh, you, you're talking about the pill and how they relate to each other uh, in, in a certain show. Now this piece I know is in one <coughs> museum, and the, the pill even, I mean, I know this might be an exhibition copy, or not, right. but they're, they're apart now. Right. Uh, do you, how, how do you... Well, I guess... You that, that, it's not like for you, they, they have to be shown together for uh, all eternity, but maybe initially they were made that way. Right. I, I, initially they were made um, uh, for an exhibition and thinking about how all the pieces related together and work together, but um, I understand that the pieces then eventually go off in different directions. You don't mind and at all. I, I don't mind that. I mean, conceptually, that sort of is where they should be going. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, other than the opposite would be just going into a closet and you just keep jamming them, them into the closet once they're done. Then this is a m map that I made. Uh, this is from 1995, a map I made of the United States. It's made with uh, acrylic paint, press type, and ink. And it represents the, the United States upside down, but with the, the text right side up. I, it's, uh, I guess in the States, if you're more familiar, I mean, if this was a Swedish map um, and that reverse were to happen, it would be have much more of a disconcerting effect. We know the states really well in Sweden, actually. No, I, 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 I'm not saying... No, 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 but, it's, but, but, but you know, I think I've, people are actually very familiar. Have you guys uh, heard of map. the U.S.? <laughs> That's not what I mean, but I think even image, as an image, the states is, is quite... Uh, right. We're very Americanized. In, in many ways. So after I was working on this piece for like a year and a half, and uh, um, this became the reality for me. Uh, you know, New York was was uh, in the southwest and and um you know it was all it was all very very strange but i was interested in that it being a truth that power structure sort of established north and south this is in the show as well and it's a very small photograph maybe f four inches by six inches like a snapshot that someone would take on a vacation you know back to the sense of logic the representation of this giant falling from the sky and then the presentation of it as this casual snapshot I was really interested in. But there's also this sort of death of a giant. There's this 
crater, there's this emptiness, but also the gestures seem to be all, almost one of it, sort of embracing the world as well through its kind of negation. 1997, I was in a show where I was having some issues with the, uh, the gallerist. Uh, this piece is titled Secrets, and I wrote in pen on a standard A4 sheet of paper, like secrets, and um, they were kind of, they ended up being kind of sort of bad-mouthing the gallerist and just <laughs> kind of rants and frustration of also my deepest secrets. You know, I don't have that many deep secrets, but I mean, you can't, I don't know if you can see from here, but you really can't tell what it says, but it, I mean, if you were to analyze the lettering, you probably could decipher and, you know, figure out what it does say. But there was something about this whisper and the writing, the process of writing so small, you know, and going through that subtle hand gesture of communicating like an A and a B. It's very reminiscent of like a secret and a whisper. This is an alphabet? What's this? Is this an alphabet? I mean, can, can you read this? If you, if you got it in front of you, could you read it again? I would have to des decipher it. Um, I would have to go through the letters. And like, if you have a single letter like that, you know that's either an A or an I. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, I would have to uh, – I can't remember what I said. But, but I'm saying it's an alphabet. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. 1998. Um, the, this is uh, uh, pencil sections cut and rearranged into uh, a kind of lightning bolt. I've done various pencil pieces. And like I said before, I think about the, the, the overview of, of my work, the progression of it. And I've done various pencil pieces. I did one in 1991, uh, 1993. So rather than doing a show with interpretations of a pencil, they're all sort of scattered throughout my, uh, my career. For me, if I were to interpret, like this is one interpretation of the, of the pencil, I have to go through more history and trial and error, leaving that idea in order to come back and reinterpret it in a, in a way that's fresh for me, that's interesting. Um, as opposed to making a, a piece like this and then the next piece might be, you know, a, a circle of that a form. To me, if, if I were to con have uh, made another pencil piece very close to this, it would have been more of a formal investigation as opposed to something that I more internalized. So at this point, I've always thought of, you know, I was, this was in the context of a show where uh, writing was sort of referred to. And so I thought of this as sort of a lightning bolt of, of referencing some kind of inspiration. Yeah, and so then this is a, another pencil piece from uh, 1998 where it's uh, – this was from a show in um, Warsaw. It's a piece of paper um, that sat on the floor with a pencil made out of paper. I started using a lot more paper in a sculptural way. Before this, 
you know, seeing with the pencil and some other paper pieces, I would work the paper in a more geometric way. But I wanted to sort of challenge myself uh, and, and build the paper up in a more biological or visceral way, sort of uh, in a way the antithesis of what sort of a pot pot potential for the paper is. Um, in this case, I constructed this uh, mutilated figure um, in a pile of blood and it's made with construction, different colored construction paper. This is from 2000. And uh, I think I lost a year there or something, but this is 2000. I did this piece, and it kind of sounds bad, but um, I did this after my son was born. <laughs> Sorry. Because yes. it, it, it's a somewhat, a, it's a self portrait, and uh, I guess having a son, I started thinking about my mortality in a very different way. Before having my son, I was just, you know, if you didn't, I guess I didn't think about it all that much. Now, my life, you know, someone really depended on my, my uh, life. So you're confronting your worst fears, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, kind of going inside of it. So the weird thing about this, I mean, it's such a horrific scene. I'm sorry, but, but it, yeah. it is. But it's it's made out of paper, so it kind of makes it okay, I guess. It's yeah, like, and also yeah, the, the guys, paper would yeah it would allow you to sort of separate a bit from it. Think about what it actually. Yeah, the way it was made was I just had to make it make it from the inside out. I first made the bones out of paper, then added the muscles and tendons, veins, then skin, then the torn clothing. So it was kind of built from the inside out. So when you look at it, you can kind of see into it. You did some research for this, didn't you? I mean, looking into... Because you sent me a, a bunch of, like, source images, different material, that you, all, all kinds of research. Mm -hmm. the, the absolutely worst images in there were, were part <laughs> of this research. I've, right. I've never seen such horrific images in my life. Yeah. Well, it was a combination of you know, like motorcycle crashes and yeah. comic books. So it had sort of... Did you a, do that? Was that, that was very specific to this project? Or would you say that you do research in a similar way? Um, for, for almost Yeah, I guess, and it, especially right now, it's so easy to research images on the internet and just get a whole stock of images uh, um, of things to reference mm. or uh, so images do that to reference a lot for yeah. most of your projects. and i just get you know files of images that i can refer to mm. this is a, a year later in, in this show there was this piece which sort of took that idea of that mutilated figure a step further but then it also did i use in this case rather than using the the construction paper in a, a sort of a flat way of, of gluing kind of these layers flatly. I built it up more with paper that's been like mashed in, in water and glue. So it became like a paper pulp. So it, let me see if there's a detail shot there. Um, it's more like paper pulp, but then there's this strange thing that was happening and this it's sort of the beginning of um, kind of this opening up 
that uh, can be epitomized with this piece downstairs. And that as I started, some things are real and some things aren't. So some of the, like the, uh, the pants, um, part of them are real, but then part of them are just blue construction paper. It's wearing a watch that has to be set to the actual time of wherever it is. One shoe is real and one is fake. Um, there's some real hair and fake hair. There was something about that that was interesting to me. And this piece was also, it was kind of a horrifying show in a way. It was all about being. And it was in a show where there was this piece and then I made hundreds of bees, two of which you can see in the, in the exhibition. So you were confronted with this and then a swarm of bees that were scattered throughout the space on the wall. And it was meant to sort of propel you back to yourself and kind of, I, I, I thought that was interesting, kind of, uh, and a play on the idea of the word being to be, like the buzz of being. And these are not uh, New Balance shoes, or were they? Oh, yeah. I think at that time I was wearing Sauconies. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. No N. Yeah, right. I wear New Balance. In the show here, there's a piece where I took 36 milk bone boxes and cutting them in a certain way enlarged it to one 36 times larger milk bone box. But I've also done works like in this piece from 2002 where I took one Lucky Charms box cut into small squares to make four Lucky Charms boxes. That's the front. So you can see it's, uh, you know, it misses information, but it still uh, gives enough information. That's the back of it. From 19, I mean, from 2003, this is a collage, a floor collage um, made with paper and... Uh, various collage elements. And it's a, another kind of open system piece where, but it's more collage based. And when I say open system, it means I establish this arena. Let me see if there's a detail shot of the, so you have the illusion of the pedestal and then whatever happens with inside that arena of um, that amorphic form is, uh, um, Anything can happen, so there's various collage elements um, creating a, a field of complexity. Uh, in, in it, there's a lot of uh, anatomy books as a sort of foundation. So it's a strange visual phenomenon of having this representation of a sculpture on the flat on the floor. Um, 2000, where am I? Uh, 2004, I think. This drawing is in the show here. Uh, representing a, 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 a photograph of a, it's a drawing um, based on a photograph I took behind my house um, where, uh, where I live. I did it when I was falling in love with my wife and it's hard to see, you won't be able to see it on this, but there's a tiny red heart in it. When you mentioned, oh sorry, when you mentioned this before you also said that as an artist, maybe particularly the way you work, people sometimes ask you, but, but can you draw? Right. So it was a, somewhat of a response to that. 
a funny response to that because, yeah, people would question, especially with uh, the things that I've made that, um, you know, that I guess some people look for a kind of virtuosity of, of craft, uh, traditional craft. And um, most artists are trained in sort of a traditional drawing, painting, sculpture, um, and then maybe some sort of a go further into that. Others sort of uh, it's it's not really the direction that they want to go. But it, it made sense for me to do a drawing like this. It also um, I could make it sort of work with my process. And it also served as kind of, like I said, like an anomaly in a progression. Um, I like to slow things down because everything is so different. It's not like something's building and changing a little this way. It's like something's going from here to here to here to here. And then forcing one to establish relationships between them, kind of about the space in between the pieces. This is a, a video um, called titled Ream, and this is in the show as well. It's originally I, I projected it very large on the wall, kind of like this, I guess. Yep. It's made with. Uh, it's titled Ream because it's made with 500 sheets of paper, um, which is a ream of paper. I started by numbering the pages. You can kind of see the numbers um, moving around. So I began by numbering the pages, then cycling through the pages. I, I wanted to number them first in case they got out of order. But, and so I could then just start this basic animation working with a light table. And I wanted to build up this frenetic... Um, I envisioned a, a, a frenetic video where so many things were happening that you couldn't really encompass it all as a whole, that you had to look at the individual pieces to um, experience it. It becomes kind of neurological. And it's a, about a 25-second loop, which is continuous, because as I started working towards 500, it would continue into one and then... So there, there's no breaks of uh, a beginning or an end. This is a photograph of a, for a drawing that I did. Um, and so this is the, uh, the, the photograph of an aluminum foil monster's face that I made. I, uh, I forgot to put the actual drawing on, on there, but this is the photograph that I used to work from. And this is from... I don't know where we are, 2008? Something like that. Yeah. A lot of monsters around, around that time, right? Yeah, I was uh, working on a show uh, called Monsters and Stuff. I always look for ways of expanding, giving, having an excuse for expanding. And I had been working a lot with figures but also sort of pushing things. And the space that I was going to exhibit in was just a monstrous space. So, and also there were power issues in terms of, especially when spaces become that large, there's sort of issues of power, you know, between the viewer and the work. So I really wanted this, uh, this exhibition to address those power issues. 
And so there were a lot of creatures that, um, one of which being the green demon behind this door, but also titling it monsters and stuff was a way of, if you're working on a figure, if you're making a monster, it's, has no limits. There's not, I mean, you can, uh, uh, it can have five eyes. It can have three arms, um, whatever it, it opens itself up to, um, you know, whatever you want to do. So I like finding those excuses for that ability to, um, have something more open-ended. This is from that show as well, monsters and stuff. And this is in this show as well. It's titled monster collage. It's uh, the source imagery for this is from anatomy books, books showing actual photographs of cadavers and um, then illustrations. So I wanted it to seem like the piece was growing beyond its the perimeter of the rectangle and then it was growing legs. And then if you get up close, you can see tufts of my hair that are growing out from the piece. This idea of uh, something becoming um, too big for its own good. Um, you can't really get a sense of the scale here, here but it's very large. Um, you can see it in the other room there. It's, uh, I don't know, maybe the height is, how high are your ceilings in there? Three, ten. Three, three meters and ten centimeters. So it's a, a, it goes all the way up to the ceiling. They're actually this high. I mean, it's the same. Right. You know, space. Right. This is from 2009, titled um, I'm Not Myself. This is in the show as well. It's made up of maybe around 250 images of myself, all the same, of just me with a blank expression that I wrinkled each one in a different way and then presented them in this grid-like fashion, kind of like a specimen presentation. It can have a sense of um, more, more like a, a tortured sense of self, but for me, it, it's, it's more about the, the pliability of self, of, of the, the, the ability of uh, oneself to keep redefining oneself. So in a way, I see it as a, a self-portrait, but also an unself-portrait. I think this is moving into the final piece from 2010 titled Up in the Air. And these are some images of m me working on the, the, the pieces. And this is sort of the epitome for, for me of my open system pieces, which is where uh, I have this arena and anything can happen. So... I don't know if you've seen the piece, but it's meant to sort of allude to everything, not one thing. I first started to think about this piece. Uh, this is a, actually a, a photograph of it in my studio, um, uh, which it didn't have the best ceilings. Um, you can see the fluorescent lights and the, gray, the kind of grayish ceiling. Um, but I made it specifically for this space downstairs knowing the white ceilings and the white would have more of a lightness to it. It wouldn't compress down on the, um, on the space. But there's objects suspended at various different heights. It doesn't have an epicenter. It's just about the space and using these objects to kind of define the space and how you walk through the space, going from piece to piece. 
the distances between each piece varies. Some pieces are closer together. Some have groupings of three, four, five things that then slowly emanate out with other, using other objects to um, sort of uh, um, expand um, out into the space. The, I, I began by just general categories, general categories, politics, mu music, um, spirituality, uh, um, literature, what, what, art, whatever, and then try to find as many categories as I could, then subdividing those categories, then started to do things like this kind of uh, – on a just a piece of paper, started brainstorming of possible things I could make. Yeah, we enlarged one of them there on the wall. With you sent tons and tons of these digitally right. over to me. So yeah. I, we we just well we were just showing one, but uh, so the that I, was one way of working, right? Right. Yeah. And then I, I'd be you know, like the red marked ones are the ones I'd probably be wanting to work on next, or. Um, I, I wonder, you know, from our, we, we, you were here in September 2008, mm -hmm. and when you saw the space, and you st and you, and you, you were just, this is what I'm going to work work on. Right. And then in your studio, this was worked on for over a year. Yeah, probably about a year and a half. Yeah. So every day there were new objects being created, or certain took longer. It's almost hard to imagine from from, you know, from here how how that happened on a daily basis. It began with a box of stuff that I collect um, in my studio. It can be debris from, like if I, I'm cropping an image that I'm working on, that might go into this box. If I'm working on a sculpture and there's a section I don't want, that can go into this box. Um, and I've had this box since day one of, you know, like since 1990 and, and it just, uh, it grows and it shrinks because it, some of the things get incorporated back into my work. Um, debris. I mean, it could be, a um, I could save a, um, can of, of soda that I drank. Um, it just, you know, continues to accumulate. Cause that's how you started talking about it, that the piece would be about like the leftovers almost. Right. From all the work you'd done for almost 20 years. Right. And so I scattered that out, started working on some things initially, started modifying some of those things, then started incorporating all these categories that I was coming up with. But it's meant to be just an expansive way of working, a kind of brainstorming, an excuse for me to brainstorm and it's, you know, going through this process has already led me to kind of a focus of where my work is going next. Mm -hmm. This is a, a photograph of a grouping of pieces. And that's uh, a photograph of it as it exists downstairs. That's it, actually. That's it? Yeah. yeah. Well, did I do good on time? <laughs> it's so perfect. I, I thought we could maybe open up for a questions a couple of minutes. Is that okay with you, Tom? Sure. Yeah. We have uh, 10 minutes for questions, tops. If so please, if anybody wants to ask a question, uh, now's the time. There's and, someone uh, over there. So oh. We're recording this, so please just wait for a microphone so, so someone can there. hear you. Thank you. Uh, I just wonder about the picture with the man falling down. <laughs> uh, the, right. 
leftovers so a man's falling down uh, uh, with you a hole the... in the ground. Right. How did you do it? That's uh, I. I did that uh, just with a on Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I made a small. I got a, a block of clay okay. um, that I worked on and then carved into the clay to make the crater. Took a photograph of that at um, sort of the angle that I wanted. Then took a photograph of a landscape close to my house or where, from where I live, and then just superimposed them. It's fantastic. I love oh, it. Thank you. I mean, I actually just noticed something, and I wondered if it's how you evolve as an artist. Like, so you seem to you'll compress. Yeah. Sort of your learning like it seems like you're learning from doing things so you're compressing and then you expand and then you get to the limits of expansion and then you can compress again is that happening over the years or yeah and like I, a process of i think it's a investigation or it's I, I don't think it's a so much of an intentional process i it, it seems to be something that happens um Seem, uh, cycle that seems to happen um, in many different places, but uh, even having a child, seeing how a child learns, the child goes through this incredible, this time of incredible focus, and then you can see them sort of uh, something happens and they're a little off balance for a while, and then they come back and, and they grow, and usually you know, watching my son grow, though after those moments of being kind of off balance, he achieves this sort of new focus This uh, n- that sort of has propelled him into sort of the next stage of learning. And I think that's what sort of happens with learning is you kind of get really focused and involved in something and um, sort of maybe take it to its limits and then it's not there anymore, and it's like, where do you go from here? And you're a little off, and then you find another focus. Um, I'm interested in your relationship to labor and how you often talk about quantity and hours or suggesting hours of labor, and has that changed since your early stages of your art-making process? Are you still... When you when you approach a, a piece or an idea, are you still making these equations in your head about hours, and and is that relationship to labor changed at all? I approach labor less consciously right now. In the beginning, I approached it very consciously, and I would even approach some pieces that were purely based on my labor, thinking that what could I give as an artist, and what I could give is my labor. Although it's and and sort of with this idea, it might be very absurd labor, but um, uh, and also at that early on, a play on that labor. Once I thought about that quantity of labor, kind of an outrageous amount of tedium and labor, could then also offset spontaneity. The there's a piece. Um, inside uh, in the first room here two pieces of wrinkled paper which play upon that idea of uh, of labor and spontaneity you think that's your most successful fastest piece uh that one yeah um there's another piece that i really like where 
I had a piece of paper. I was working on something. I had a piece of paper next to me. Someone called on the phone, and I needed to find a pen. And the only pen I could find is, you know, I found this pen, and I started you know, to write down a number or some important information, and I couldn't get the pen started, and I was frantically trying to get the the pen started, and just like this, and then all of a sudden it started, and it made like this, like a um, like a a spark, or a um, uh, yeah, like a like a lightning bolt, and when I looked at it after you know the conversation. I I looked at it and looked, put it up on the wall, and there was this distress of the paper by the dry pen um, created like this amorphic cloud, and then there was this lightning bolt, like this spark of life, and um, I found that very beautiful. So that became a piece, and that was a spontaneous piece. <laughs> Any more questions? Um, you seem to always bring, uh, be bringing in um, objects from kind of the world outside into like the studio and the gallery and then um, kind of making them sort of fascinating and fantastic. And I just wanted to know whether when you're just out in your kind of day-to-day life, whether you um, you kind of have this relationship with everything around you or is it only once you bring it into the studio that you kind of begin this process, as it were? Yeah, yeah I, I, I guess uh, when I was younger, I would constantly be looking around and if I saw something it would have sort of a, I would see a potential in it and I guess that slowly started becoming a little maddening um, and now I I think I take things in and um, uh, and just sort of allow them to be a bit more I'm not as um, aggressive with uh, taking in the things that I see I let them stew a bit more. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you.